Okay, cool. All right, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show. I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Chris Knowles. He operates the Secret Sun blog. And I had him on about uh, a couple months ago to talk about an excellent book called Endless American Midnight. And in the interim, he sent me some information. As a lot of people know, I've written a book about the West Memphis Three titled Abomination. But there are pieces, vague spots about the events that I didn't understand. But when he sent me these slides, which he's going to go through, uh, it really clarified vague things about what happened on May 5th, 1993. The West Memphis Three are back in the news that people don't know. They're talking about trying to get evidence. It was blocked. They wrote, you know, when they signed their uh, agreement in 2011, they said they, you know, they gave up any rights to go back through and retry, retry the case, which is essentially what they were trying to do. So the judge kicked that out. But mm. yeah, so this is really fast. It's very timely, really great research. I'm delighted to have Chris Knowles back. So Chris, please uh, just go into maybe your background and how you became interested in the West Memphis Three and, and this part of the West Memphis Three case that you looked into. Well, you know, I hadn't really thought about it for a long time. I started thinking about it when they were um trying to rehabilitate Eccles with the Stranger Things 4 push. You know, there was a big publicity push and then they were really kind of talking about and talking a lot of stuff about satanic panic, which is a concept that I just, I mean, you know, you've read the book, you know, I have a <laughs> great deal of uh problems with that that whole that whole notion. And it's it's interesting to me because the people who usually push it are people who either A, don't know what they're talking about, or B, have some sort of vested interest in in Satanism. So um, I hadn't really thought about it for a long time. I mean, I was I was just going along with the crowd. I mean, I, was, I hadn't paid a lot of attention to it, but I, I actually bought like two of the benefit CDs. I got the, uh, the original one, which I think came out in like, what was that, 2000? And then I got the one, the Black Flag one in 2003. And, you know, I just... I think I might've seen the first paradise lost and I just, you know, I just took it for granted. I just believed the arguments because I, I didn't really have any context not to believe it. I, you know, I hadn't really looked into it and, you know, the, the paradise lost documentary is, is an excellent piece of propaganda. I mean, it's, you know, it's very persuasive uh, largely because of all the, the information that it omits. Um, so I guess a few years ago, I started looking into the case again, and, and I think it was back in 2016. Interestingly enough, I think it was because of Stranger Things, because I started looking into, you know, a very mysterious program called MK Often. And I was writing a, a series of posts called um, Uncle Sam's Secret Sorcerers. And I started looking into the um, West Memphis case again, and I just, I just came away with with a conviction that 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 these guys were guilty and the interesting thing about it i don't know if i wrote about this in the book but i remember there was a a case much like this when i was growing up um of a boy who had been um was walking home from school and was attacked by two very much uh, you know two, two types very much like uh, say like miss kelly and eccles and they, they beat him with bull whips and then they shoved fireworks down his pants and then they threw him off a bridge. So, I mean, I grew up in the 70s, you know, in a, in a pretty 
strange area. So I was very much familiar with the kind of violence that people like this can um, commit. And I remember like uh, all the cases from the 80s, you know, I mean, the interesting thing is just how much, you know, satanic crime there actually is and how much of it is just you know, downplayed by the media when they ever just dis- whenever they discuss these issues. So anyhow, um, so this this came up again, and I was you know very familiar with your work on the case, and I started looking into it again, and there was just something that really occurred to me instantly when I when I sort of refreshed my memory on this case, and that is that the the murders themselves were eerily eerily similar to ritual murders that were committed during the um, the ancient you know the, the days of the ancient celts and the druids what are called bogmen and they found a lot of these people uh, who were sacrificed and um, submerged in in water in these bogs which have a very uh, you know peculiar ph balance and and lack of oxygen so these bodies are remarkably well preserved and we're able to you know figure out like how they died what was in their stomachs and what had happened what what these murders these ritual murders usually entailed was um you know multiple traumas being committed on these victims before they were you know either drowned or you know stabbed or however and then their bodies would be submerged uh, after they were dead. So there were a number of um, various similarities there that I was just really struck by. And the thing that had really struck struck me and sort of became almost the, the clincher to me was the um, pegs with, with the boy's clothing wrapped around it. First of all, you don't, you don't do that if you're trying to hide the bodies. Uh, th- there was... Um, you know, just a disturbing lack of um, remorse or impunity or guilt on the part of the killers, let's just say. Um, they wanted these bodies to be found. They wanted to them, you know, the people who found these bodies to realize what was going on. The problem was, is that the, um, the expert that they got to testify as to the occult nature of these crimes, I think he really kind of dropped the ball because... You know, we know that Eccles was interested in Satanism and so on, but I don't think he realized, you know, the exact nature of these crimes. And this sort of speaks to something that I talk a lot about on the blog and I continue to sort of bang on is like, we've got to get past this whole idea of, you know, Satanism as the go-to because when people really become immersed in the occult, you know, Satanism will often be there in you know that's sort of the gateway into it you know that we see through all the you know the pop satanic junk like uh marilyn manson and so on but very very often people who are really serious about this kind of thing move past it and what was obvious to me you know studying these crimes is that it seemed to me that it almost seemed to be orthodox druidry you know what i mean mean, ortho like it, it seemed to be very traditional you know the 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 date, 
And the date was a very powerful date. And we can get into the specifics of that. May 5th, 1993. So May 5th. Yes. And the occult expert's name was Dale Griffiths. He was kind of the pre-internet kind of specialist. He had his own encyclopedia of cold stuff. But he missed a significant amount. Even the prosecutors, too, I think. Well, you know, you have to understand that, this, you know, like you said, this is almost 30 years ago. And we didn't have the kind of sophistication about a lot of this information that we do today. And a lot of this information about the bog men, the peat bogs, um, was very scholarly, was very specialist. It's not something that I think a lot of people had really processed yet. But there was a book, there was a book published called The Life and Death of a Druid Prince. Um, it was originally published in 1989, and then it was republished in 1991, and it was uh, an imprint of Simon & Schuster. So this was a book that would have been widely available. And we know that Eccles had gone to the library, the county library a lot, and did a lot of reading. You know, he's very, I mean, just look at him today. I mean, look at his books, look at his podcast, look, look at his presentations. I mean, this is a guy who is very, very serious about his beliefs and his practices. So it just seemed to me that let's just, you know, for the sake of argument, say whoever committed these crimes really knew what he was doing. Right. And, and Eccles was asked on the stand, what do you know about the occult? And his response, I don't remember verbatim, but to the question, but his response was, I know everything. So he believed he knew everything at the age of 18 at that time after the crime. So, and it, you're right. He's still kind of like uh scholarly you can just read his social media is so full of references uh it's incredible all the stuff and if you're yeah, on well YouTube, yeah, sorry, please go well see the interesting thing to me too though is that you know the line put forward by um the, the people supporting them was that oh these were just you know a bunch of heavy metal kids in some backwards arkansas town you know, as if this was like the footloose town, you know, that was like stuck in the 1950s or something, you know, that, that nobody listened to heavy metal. Nobody knew anything about heavy metal. You know, people just assumed that if you listen to heavy metal, uh, you know, you're a devil worshiper or something, you know, as if this wasn't totally mainstream music. You know, <laughs> right. is, you know it, the, the absurdity of it is, is, is kind of stultifying. I mean, you know, you've had bands that, you know, were, were very explicit in their... Uh, interests or at least their use of satanic imagery you know becoming very mainstream in the 80s you know bands like slayer and venom and so on so i i just find this whole argument to be incredibly specious and i think that it was really based in politics and not in criminal criminal law or in the facts of the case or in the history of the case um so you know for people who aren't familiar the basic facts uh may 1993, second grade Stevie Branch, Christopher Ryers, and Michael Moore were viciously murdered in a wooded area commonly known as Robin Hood Hills in West Memphis, Arkansas. Three locals, uh, I'm sorry, this is Jason Baldwin, Damian Eccles, and Jesse Miss Kelly were eventually charged with the slangs with Eccles given the death sentence. Uh, having spent 18 years behind bars, the tree originally convicted of murdering three young boys all those years ago suddenly walked out of prison free, men in August 2011. Copying Alfred, please. 
Eccles, Miss Kelly, and Baldwin all stood in a Jonesboro, Arkansas courtroom and pleaded guilty of first and second degree murder charges while simultaneously asserting their own innocence. With Judge, uh, uh, with Judge David Laser vacating their previous murder convictions, the three were then speedily found guilty under a new trial with the trio ultimately sentenced to 18 years and 78 days, the time that they had already served on their initial convictions. You know, and truth be told, uh, you know, you have a lot of people who committed pretty heinous crimes that would serve, you know, 18 years or less. So, um, but, you know, the fact is, is that they were convicted and then they plead, pled guilty and then they were, you know, found guilty again. So it's like, I don't think the people who champion them, you know, really understand Again, they, they're so conditioned by Hollywood just to think that this, you know, West Memphis, right across the river from a major metropolitan area, right? I mean, right across the river from Memphis, a, you know, a, a large city with, with a long history. Um, you know, the, the assumptions are really based in Hollywood and, and, and in propaganda, political propaganda, rather than in, again, criminal law or, or basic facts. Um, so this this slide just talks about the um, the search for the boys, and we don't have to go into this. You know, one of the things that you know I want to stress here is that I'm not focusing on the facts of the case as far as the investigation and so on and the trials. My interest in this and the reason you know why I've done this presentation is that I'm just interested in the specifics of the murders themselves. Because like I said, as soon as I really dived into the specific details of these murders, I'm just like, this is somebody doing their own version of, of druidic ritual sacrifice. Okay. Um, we know that these guys, just to add to, the, to your presentation, we know they were walking around in cloaks and staves. They had staves. The boys were beaten with a staff prior to being drowned. There were cranium wounds consistent with being hit with a stick. The sticks were missing. They might have been found. So there's other things consistent with the case that I know of. And just to add to Eccles, and you show in your presentation, people will see this. That he was featured kind of in Berlinger's part two to the Blair Witch Pro uh, Project, I think. Was the Blair Witch follow-on or Blair Witch 2? There was an Eccles-like figure. And apparently the season four of Stranger Things features this guy Munson, who is an Eccles figure. Mm -hmm. And so it ties into current events. And this is a whole, the Stranger Things is whole wrapped out in a lot of my research. They have a lot of 11s, but they feature one of the kids' name is Byers, which you showed in the first slide of your presentation was uh, Mark Byers was one of the victims. So, and they had exactly. all, the bike, all the visuals for the West Memphis Three are included in the first season of Stranger Things with the bikes, the kids driving, you know, kind of uh, drifting around the city by themselves and a lot of stuff like that. So it gets pretty deep, but sorry to interrupt. No, not, not at all. Um, this is just uh, going to some of the details of the case, but, um, you know, I think one of the, um, you know, the dead giveaways here is the, um, the urine in the stomachs. You know, and Miss Kelly had um, confessed that the you know he and the and and Baldwin and Eccles had orally raped these boys, 
and then and then we find out that they have urine in their stomachs. So, um, and I cite you for that information here at the bottom of the slide. So, I mean, I think it's just, I, I you know, I just don't understand how this is still a controversy. I again, I think it's it speaks to the fact of the um, the power and the sophistication of the propaganda effort on their behalf. Um, you know, one of the things that was interesting to me when I was going back and look at this, because I wasn't, you know, I kind of like late 90s, early 2000s sort of become a blur to me. I'm, I'm not really quite sure, you know, when happened when. So, um, you know, the uh, the Black Flag CD, the, the Rollins, you know, because Rollins had gotten involved in this case uh, fairly, I don't know, I guess early, but he, he got involved in this case at an interesting time when his, you know, his band was basically on the rocks. You know, his career was dead. Um, you know, his, his last few records hadn't sold. So it seemed to me that, he, you know, he was latching onto this case as a way to, you know, just keep himself visible in the media. And, you know, people just love these kind of, you know, wrongfully convicted kind of cases. People just eat this stuff up. So I, I think that I, I, I hate to be um, cynical about these things, but I think there were other motivations for the people, you know, you know, even Berl Berlinger, uh, Eddie Vedder, and, you know, of course, Depp and Manson, I think their interest is more religious, to be, to be frank. But I, I think that um, Rollins and, and Vedder, you know, were basically trying to revive their dying careers, um, you know, by championing this case. And uh, I got to say that, um, you know, I, I, I find it, you know, to me, it's just incredibly offensive. Um, Again, this is just, I'm going to just, we don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to skip over a lot of this information, but this is just information about the confessions and so on, and the people who had overheard them confessing. Um, right. Jesse's you know, seven or eight confessions. So there's, he's like multiple confessions over and over, post-conviction. That's very important. So after his conviction, he said, yeah, we did it, we did it, we did it. Yeah, recorded yeah. too. Those are all recorded. Yes, and um, the whole... You know, basically, you know, I want to say lies, but the spin that, you know, he had been, you know, they had been um, had him sitting in a uh, interview room for 24 hours before they interviewed him. And then they interviewed him for like three days. I mean, all this just absolutely ridiculous. No, I mean, exaggerating, of course, but, you know, I mean, that the thing that really disturbed me most about the people pushing this cause is just how much of this information they just completely glossed over or try to explain away. And uh, that to me is just, I don't know. I think that's a dead giveaway here. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and then getting into the uh, history of violence and violent threats and institutionalizations, um, you know, claimed spirit possession by an entity named Rosie, uh, kind of describing classic psychotic breaks this morning when I woke up, my eyes were stuck open. I must have slept that way. My heart was beating so hard. Uh, it was vibrating in my head. I went to hell. It was not a dream. I was really there. It wasn't that bad. The old man took me there. He's my constant companion now. So um, I, this is pretty classic, typical 
almost textbook uh, schizophrenic ideation. Um, and again, I mean, it's if this if this material was given a fair hearing uh, in the public, I, I don't think this case would be controversial in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and these are just some of the drawings he did, you know, the baby rattle near the, the, the headstones and the, the pentagrams and so on. So, I mean, you know, symbolically, this, this image on the left here, and this is from uh, the evidence file, this is clearly um, attaining power. I mean, this is a, a classic sort of necromantic black magic I ideal of gaining power from, from the dead. You know, I mean, it's just classic necromancy right here. And, and of course, this baby rattle uh, is incredibly disturbing. Um, you, you, you're familiar, obviously, with- I know me. all this stuff, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, put and, this in my book, yeah. Yeah, and, and- An interesting thing about that picture is those trees are very specific to that part of the country. So I can't remember the name of the trees. It's like, uh, I think it's a willow tree. So those weeping willows, yeah. So weeping those, willows, that, yeah. That's what it would look like if he was out at night somewhere around western Memphis. Those would be the type of trees. Yes, exactly. Um, so this this again is just more deep background and and uh, citing your book here. Um, Damien and girlfriend were going to sacrifice their baby. Relates that she is a witch. Uh, well, at detention center, he reportedly grabbed a peer and began sucking blood from the peer's neck. Uh, provisional diagnosis, psychotic disorder. I mean, I think that's clear from his artwork and the statements that he made. Um, he's had uh, three psychological hospitalizations. Each has been associated with anger, thoughts of killing others, and thoughts of killing himself. So, I mean, again... Um, Nobody talks about this when they when they push this case forward. It's always just satanic panic. And, and the thing I like to point out is that there's this whole, uh, you know, when people repackage the satanic panic, it's like, oh, it's just, you know, a bunch of fundamentalists in the backwoods pushing this stuff. And it's like, no, in fact, the satanic panic was pushed by a major media um, from, the, from the start, from the start. And it was kept aloft by sort of a combination of major media outlets, corporate media outlets, and, um, you know, particular psychotherapists and so on. Um, never mind the fact that, you know, satanic crime is, is very much a reality. Um, you know, you, you cited a number of cases in the book. I mean, there's, there's a lot more, um, you know. Yeah, there there's is a I lot. Only, I scratched the surface. It's, you could write your own book on satanic crime. Oh, I mean, oh my God. And also... Um, crimes uh attached to um dungeons and dragons and role-playing game so again i mean it's like we have this almost like this big lie technique where it's just you know this sim simplified dumbed down untrue statements are repeated over and over again you know satanic panic satanic panic uh, dungeons and dragons satanic panic it's like all this kind of stuff but it's like if you actually look into the cases you realize that yeah a lot of people involved in role-playing games would go out and kill people and a lot of times the, their crimes would be inspired by their role-playing so um again i mean this is a product of of a corporate media um that is inherently uh what's the word i'm trying to think inherently antagonistic to you know 
ordinary people, mainstream people, middle America, um, and packages these kinds of uh, disinformation tactics very highly effectively, so much so that even people who are skeptical of mainstream media narratives will just swallow them whole. Um, okay, so this is just, uh, you know, talking about these documentaries um, and the, um, the record albums put out, the compilation albums put out. And again, I mean, I think in both cases, there is just a tremendous um, cynical careerist motivation. You know, I mean, uh, Berlinger and Sanofsky were documentary makers who were sort of, I guess, looking around for, for a new cause or a new topic, you know, and sort of stumbled onto this. And there was a, a film, I guess in the late eighties now called um, the thin, the thin blue line, Errol Morris, that he sort of made his name. So it's like, you can really make your name with one of these, uh, you know, wrongfully committed cases, especially if there are cultural and political uh, undertones to it. And I think that's exactly what happened. I would really love to get, you know, Sanofsky no longer with us, but I'd really like to get Joe Berling in a room and just ask him, do you really believe this? Do you really believe these films? I mean, do you really, do you really think those guys are innocent? Right, right. Really so like important that. that there's tons of access to grind uh, if you are kind of a coastal person against the flyover people, because mm -hmm. I think that that was the subtext of a lot of those, at least the second and third documentaries was look at these rubes, look at the, you know, Southern things, look at the fundamentalists, the Christian fundamental. They featured like religious guys from, uh, I think, on the second, even the first. I think they had a pastor on there. So I think... Uh, that's yeah, well, this is the background of the culture war, yeah. the 90s culture war. And this is what I wrote here. It's like victims of the culture war. You know, I mean, it's there was this huge thing going on that was sort of accelerated by the, you know, the Clinton administration and the Clinton um, impeachment. You know, there's just and this is the time, you know, people forget that this is the time during Promise Keepers and uh, all these uh, other groups that you know the religious right was much more prominent and powerful than it is today i mean i think its power and its reach was always wildly overstated for various reasons but you know it was much more of a force than it is today and i think that that you know like you said you know stick it to the roof stick it to the you know the uh backwards snake handlers you know and again, ignoring the fact that West Memphis is essentially a, a metropolitan area, you know, it's a, right. it's a suburb, you know, it's, a, it's not the backwoods, it's not the Appalachians, it's, it's really disingenuous to make that argument. But, you know, I mean, this is, this is what Hollywood does, this is what the mainstream media does, it's, um, again, it's very cynical. And, and, and as I said before, I would love to get Joe Berlinger, you know, couple drinks sitting at a bar and just say seriously you know do you really believe this uh, i suspect that he would say no i mean that's his me i would know? agree with you i would i would think if he was being honest i mean in my opinion that he would probably say no too so this is just uh you know talking about all the information that was uh glossed over downplayed distorted or simply excluded from the films uh such you know damon Eccles' rather unsavory rap sheet 
um, lengthy ju juvenile record. I guess that would have been sealed at the time. Uh, his fights, setting fires, ingesting the blood of his classmates, ingesting the blood of uh, fellow inmates at this, um, you know, this institution and so on. So there you go. Um, <laughs> I, I have these uh, these pop-ups that are sort of blocking the slide. Oh, oh there sorry, we go. Sorry. That's all right. Um, you know, Miss Kelly couldn't stop confessing even after his own conviction. So there you go. Uh, oh, and this is also, so Damien Eccles versus the truth. Um, you know, the statements that, you know, this is, I think, um, classic of his personality type. I mean, you know, I think this seems to be like a narcissistic personality disorder that often accompanies uh, schizophrenia and psychosis uh, or psychopathy, or I guess would have been the, the official diagnoses. But, you know, we, we claim that he didn't live in West Memphis. He never went to mess. He never went to mess. <laughs> he never went to West Memphis. Uh, he wasn't familiar with Robin Hood Hills. Uh, he barely knew Miss Kelly. Uh, claimed he was raped in prison. You know, this absurd story that you know, this uh, inmate crawled in through a cinder block that he had removed and just claims his mother and sister never visited him in prison. So, I mean, these are all just like hallmarks of, I think, uh, a deeply disturbed mind, to be to be frank. Um, but he's, he's able to leave out so many things, just like you said at the intro, so many omissions, because when he said, he never lived close to that Robin Hood Hills. A year before the crime, it's a fact that he stayed in an apartment building that was literally literally a stone's throw from Robin Hood Hills. So he knew that area. He lived in that area, at least for a time. So yeah. Just one yeah. of many, many, many lies. You know, he says this stuff on Larry King. And, you know, Larry King is Mr. Softball. You know, Larry King, I'm sure Larry King didn't even know the facts of the case. And he's certainly not going to press him on it. So... There you go. Same with Piers Morgan. You can watch that interview with Piers Morgan and Eccles is making hand gestures the whole bit. And Piers Morgan is just throwing these underhanded uh, pitches. It's incredible. Same with the view. I've gone over him in the view too. So Yeah. But, I'll I'll have to I'll have to I'll have to rewatch that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um so uh, you mentioned D Dr. Dale Griffiths, uh expert on occult killings, trappings of occultism, uh, data killings near a pagan holiday. And that's I think a huge mistake. Uh, it wasn't near a pagan holiday. It was a pagan holiday. And I think these are the kind of things, when you say like near a pagan holiday, I think that sounds weak to a, to a jury. I mean, they were convicted anyway. But I think that when you say these kind of things, it tends to mitigate the effect. Uh, because as I said, I mean, this w was a pagan holiday. This was not near a pagan holiday. And it was a, actually an, a very highly charged pagan holiday. Um uh, young children sought for sacrifice, younger the innocent, better life force. Um, you know, again, I mean, some of these, some of these claims, you know, when you talk about Satanism, um, you know, a lot of these things are anecdotal because there is no corpus of literature that has any kind of authority that you could cite some of these facts from, but, you know, uh, three victims and the number three had significance in occultism. Yes. Specifically in Druidry specifically in Druidry, the number three. So we'll get to that. Um, the victims were all eight years old. Eight is a witch's number. We're going to get to that too. Um, he testified that sacrifices are often done near water for a baptism type rite. Uh, 
possibly, but in this case, this was uh, classic druidic murder, ritual murder. Uh, tied ankle to wrists because this is done to display the genitalia and so on and so on. Um, what I also sort of see is that the um, it, that reminded me of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, the way he would pose his his victims in what's called the um, the arch of hysteria. Uh, and is we that won't kind get of into infamous, yeah, infamous art piece by the Podesta brother, right? Yeah. 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 There you go. So let's talk about May 5th, because I think this is extraordinarily, extraordinarily important. And I think that if, if these facts had come out, I don't think that um, there would be as much of of an effect when it came to trying to um, rehabilitate these people. Um, so astrological Beltane um, occurs when the sun is at 15 degrees Taurus, usually around May 5th. Um, but it's all, uh, May 5th is also Old Beltane. It's called Old Beltane. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Lunar Beltane uh, occurs during the first full month in May. So May 5th was the full moon. So, I mean, if you're an occultist, particularly somebody who's really serious about the occult, really serious about ritual magic, these things all add up to like very, very potent uh, you try to get the ritual timing and everything right. Dates, numbers, the whole bit, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm actually, yeah, I mean, I, I would only say that I was impressed, you know, by the um, choosing this particular day because, and I'd also like to go back, you know, maybe get like a Lexus Nexus kind of search going and see what else might have happened that day in other parts of the world because this, if you're into, you know, serious kind of like Wicca or possibly even Thelema, but definitely kind of uh, Druidic kind of traditions. This is an extremely um, powerful day. So it's uh, so it's astrological Beltane, Luna Beltane, and solar Beltane, a cross-quarter holiday, one that stands halfway between a solstice and an equinox in the wheel of the year. Uh, many ancient Celtic traditions began the celebration of Beltane on the full moon or new moon, nearest astrological Beltane, and often the celebrations lasted until the next full or new moon over a two-week period. So, you know, adding it up, again, I mean, this is astrological Beltane, solar Beltane, lunar Beltane, old Beltane, you know, the start of, of Beltane festivals. So uh, when, when you look at the Druidic aspects of this, um, the dating here and just the sort of the supercharging you know the, the astrological supercharging this day i think it can not be overstated cannot be overstated uh and then of course it was wednesday which is um sacred to the druidic god uh tuates god of the people and here what do we see here we see um a man drowning a child in this case, in a vat of ale, right? But um, I mean, just look at that. Just think about that for a second. You know, this this is. I don't know if this is cultic, but this is associated with this with druidic god Tuates. Um, and just look what's going on here. And it's interesting, Chris, because this came up in my research into SFK, and one of the other researchers, Igor Sarsky, mentioned this god in one of my interviews talked about Tuates about this drowning because of all these men who've suspiciously, suspiciously been found in water. 
So mm -hmm. it's interesting yes. how this ties in. I didn't know much about Druidic stuff, but when I was reading the ONA stuff and researching that, that's what came to mind, the forest, Druidic dates. And so it's interesting that you found that very prevalent in the West Memphis Three. So, Yeah, and just, you know, for future reference, Mtuates is associated with uh, Odin and Hermes. Okay. So, I mean, there are other um, connotations here. But, you know, the thing I found really interesting is um, Eccles on March 17th, uh, which is St. Patrick's Day, 2013, um, talking about the snakes were never native to Ireland. The snakes St. Patrick drove out were druids forced to flee their homes or face execution. Um, the, the, what really happened is that St. Patrick had for, forbade uh, druidic human sacrifice, something that you know, the Romans had tried to stamp out. Um, right. So Caesar's invasion of Gaul, the Druids were there at that time. This is what, 2,000 years ago, you know, 2,500, no, 2,050 years ago. But mm -hmm. there was like all kinds of writings at that time about the Druids. So they knew that Celtic, Celtic culture was actually in Europe and was kind of driven out. There was a lot of Celts in present-day Germany, Belgium, and they found Bogmen, I think, the one that you talked about was in England, but I think there was another famous one that was found in Amsterdam or in that Netherlands area. Yeah, so. all over the all over the northern Europe. Um, and the interesting thing, so you know, Celtic really refers to more a culture and a language than you know a genetic disposition. I, I think that um, Druidic type human sacrifices were not just unique to people who practice as Druids, they were also widely practiced, you know, by uh, people who worshiped Odin. You know, Odin commonly was honored with, with human sacrifice and, and also the mutilations and so on. So, yeah, they're very all much just Vikings had tons of sacrifices, too. So it was different cultures were engaged in a lot of this stuff. So. Yeah, and I th I think there was just a, a lot of overlap, you know, because the, the the Celts or the Gauls, you know, they were formally, a, you know, formal formally, a, not formally, but they were a Germanic tribe. So I mean, I think there was a lot of overlap in practices and beliefs, but again, you know, the Nordic um, and the Vikings for for Odin, Wotan, Wotan, you know, whatever. And in this case, and I, I think that these are um, specific cultural and linguistic differences. And I think the underlying practice, I think, has the same roots. Okay. So again, I mean, and and like I said, I mean, Odin, so it's Wednesday, so it's not only sacred to Tuates, and you know, we see this drowning of the child here, but also uh, sacred to Odin, okay, or Wotan or Woden. You know, Wednesday is Woden's Day, right? All right. So where is my, uh, here we go. So Beltane sacrifices. Uh, according to 17th century historian Jeffrey Keating, there was a gathering at the hill of Wiesnock, each Beltane in medieval Ireland, where a sacrifice was made to a god named Beale. Uh, Keating wrote that two bonfires would be lit in every district of Ireland. Cattle would be driven from them to protect them from disease. So these are not human sacrifices, these animal sacrifices, but this is as late as the 1600s. 
Okay, so I mean, this is ingrained in the culture. Um, so excavations in the 20th century found evidence of large fires and charred bones uh, showed have been a place of ritual since ancient times. Uh, sanctuary site in which fires were kept burning perpetually or kindled at various intervals where all animal sacrifices were offered. So again, I mean, the, the blood sacrifice idea is just very ingrained. And if you look, uh, you know, say you look at Kentucky, Arkansas, um, I guess that would be um, not, not, the, uh, not the Appalachians, but the Piedmonts perhaps. But anyway, so, you know, it's mountain folk, a lot of whom are Scotch-Irish uh, and brought their traditions with them, you know, brought these traditions over with them. And there was always an undercurrent of, you know, the old ways uh, throughout history. So the three boys, so again, we talk about like um, the Druidic's significance, the Druidic significance of the number three, um, but also 888. Now in, in this context, in, in some Christian numerology, the number 888 re represents Jesus, or sometimes more specifically, uh, Christ the Redeemer. This rep representation may be justified either through gematria by counting the letter values of the Greek transliteration of Jesus' name or as opposing value to 66, the number of these. Um, so again, this is 888. And you know what we see is evidence that um, these boys were not chosen at random. They were very specifically chosen, in my belief, um, because this was you know, sort of like a religious war kind of sacrifice, you know. And uh, I mean, I can sort of tell you stories, maybe at a later date, of, of somebody who who I'd met once, who was who, a rather notorious person, um, but uh, had done hadn't done these kind of crimes, but had seen himself as sort of like a um, you know a warrior against Christendom. You know, and uh, had drifted into Satanism and the far right. And, you know, I mean, that's something that I, I find really interesting today, too, is that there's this tremendous effort, PR effort on the uh, behalf of these satanic groups. When, you know, somebody like me who's, who's older and, and probably you as well, it's like I had always seen Satanism as being sort of like the handmaiden of, of extreme right politics. They always seem to go together in my experience, but anyhow. So um, this is just a, a witness testimony. Uh, Damien and Jason are going to West Memphis and they're going to get these boys and hurt them. And one of these cult meetings, a photograph of not just some boys, but these boys has passed around. And I guess these would be the meetings at uh, Stonehenge, which we can discuss. Miss um, Byers talked about her son coming home a month before and saying that some strange men all in black had taken his picture. Uh, he also stated that Damien had been watching these boys and stalking these boys. So, I mean, the symbolism here is just very interesting to me. Again, the druidic significance of three, but also this 888. And, uh, you know, 888 is almost sort of like a number sigil that has been used in some Christian traditions to uh, symbolize Christ. And also the symbolism of Robin Hood Hills. I mean, it's just like, it just it almost seems to be like overkill with the symbolism. You know what I mean? And I don't know how much of that is intentional. Right. I mean, 
I guess Robin Hood Hills was an informal name, right? It wasn't necessarily an official geographic designation. Is, is that correct? That's correct. I think it was just a place that they called where they would go and play. I don't even know how it got that name. Well, so the interesting thing about that is that uh, Robin Hood has been claimed for pag pagan witch cults. Um, is an author some people might know about, Margaret Murray. Um, she had sort of posited this, this whole existence of a witch cult in, in medieval Europe. Uh, and that Robin Hood was very closely tied to him. And it has to do with uh, covens and witches meetings and so on. So, I mean, I would really like to find out, excuse me, um, where the symbolism derives from. I mean, was this just something the kids had come up with? Uh, but there either were other way. stories. Uh, there were other stories, Chris. People, Chris, people who lived across there said they saw hooded figures going in there, that there were markings on trees. So there was something happening even before in that area prior to May fifth, nineteen ninety three, according yeah. to the, the statements and rumors that were circulating around there. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And you know, I don't want to go too far afield in speculation, but um, I, I think maybe less so now, but I had always gotten a weird vibe that there were other people involved in these crimes um, in addition in addition to the three. Um, I've made that statement in other interviews. I, I have very little evidence, but it feels like there were more people involved. There was a weird event at Bojangles. A lot of people know about it. think that that's the perp, but that might have been somebody there. He showed up in blood and excrement or mud and was acting, locked himself in the room, weird stuff. And then that blood was mysteriously lost out of the evidence room, which is weird. There were also and statements then, on- just No, go more, ahead. No, just one more thing. On the night of the death, somebody got into a cab in West Memphis and asked the cab driver to drive them 400 miles. The, the cost didn't matter. And so I think that the guy paid out a couple hundred bucks, but that was another weird story. And we know from, uh, the statements that are included in the court records that these guys, Eccles and uh, at least Eccles and Baldwin, had some kind of el older, elder occultist that they mentioned. They called Lucifer. And that was the Alvis. You can look it up. It's the Alvis Clem. Uh, oh, I can't. Alvis Clem uh, testimony. So it's in the statement that he gave to police. It's actually recorded. It's really fascinating. But he verifies a lot of the stuff that happened. At Stonehenge, which is also totally strange to bring it into the Druidic stuff, and then the modern version of the Stonehenge, the uh, Georgia Guidestones just blows up last night. So yeah, isn't it? It's <laughs> it's quite. Uh, for, I don't want to say it's fortuitous, but it's it's quite uh, synchronistic. It, yeah, we're discussing this that after that day. Yeah. One more thing, Chris, is that if you look at the cover of Abomination, that picture of the. Uh, downward facing pentagram is taken on Stonehenge. I got that picture from the court records. So wow. you see that on the cover. Yeah, so it's really strange. So that's wow. Stonehenge theme. We can go into the monoliths and stuff like that, which isn't really part of this case, but it's part of the modern occult environment. Yeah, definitely. Um, so there's something weird going on with the, uh, the text alignment here. But anyhow, um, again, as I was saying, peat wetlands in Northwest Europe are well known for the bog bodies. The wetlands provide cold, acidic, oxygen-free conditions which prevent decay and mummify human flesh. Similar evidence of grisly murders has been seen in other bog bodies found in Britain, Denmark, Germany, and the Netherlands. Also other, other places as well, Scotland and so on. 
Uh, and in the case of the two Irish bogmen, the study team says they were probably used as sacrifice to pagan gods. While both bogmen appeared to be aristocratic dandies of their day, they still met horrible deaths. So again, I mean, the thing that really struck me is that the these bogmen sacrifices, um, tortured, mutilated, beaten, broken bones, dismembered, um, again, this kind of like overkill and trying to inflict as much trauma on the victims, you know, the, the, the sacrificial victims as you can before they're submerged. Um, and again, I mean, that's really one of the things that struck me insofar as the parallels between uh, Bogman murders and um, the West Memphis murders. Okay. Um, Oh, so this is, I think this is very important, you know, considering where the boys were found. Dr. Eve Campbell, director of AMS excavation site, told the Irish examiner that uh, ancient Celtic cultures regarded wetlands as mystical places where they could connect with their gods and the other world. Okay. So, I mean, this is something that's traditional, uh, that wetlands, marshes, swamps, and so on are like... Uh, like a twilight zone between, you know, the two elemental worlds, the worlds of, of, you know, earth and water. And I think that they have a, a very important type of significance to a lot of occult beliefs. And in this case, to the Druidic beliefs and so on. It's very much ONA stuff. Earth and water are separate. There's all kinds of gods you meet in the underworld and all the symbolism of the ONA. And just for an ONA connection, Eccles has stated like his occult influences. And one was a guy named Ford who lives in Texas, who's an occultist, who was part at one time the outer head of the Order of Nine Angles. So mm. yeah, it ties into this kind of druidic element of the ONA and uh, what I think you're talking about as far as the West Memphis area. Right, exactly. Um, so this, this is from um, Eccles' book, High Magic. And again, <laughs> this is being blocked out a little bit, but it, you know, people are aware just uh, how water holds energy. Um, and it can be wonderful in a way, but also quite unfortunate when traumas, uh, traumatic, traumatic deaths occur. For instance, and this is Eccles' own words, when somebody drowns in a body of water that doesn't move, a pond or a lake, or this little gully that the boys are found in, um, you know, which is basically a glorified drainage ditch, um, whatever fear they experience upon death will charge that water and make future tragedies more likely to occur. The horror has infused the water and will attract similar energy until the charge is nullified, altered, or dissipated. Um, I mean... I mean, yeah, yep. so, so just just assume that he's completely innocent of these crimes. I mean, knowing that, you know, and this is a crime scene photo on the left here, um, you know, knowing that he's associated with these crimes, you know, do you think he might think twice before writing this? I mean, it almost seems like taunting, you know? We think so. We know, we know that his lawyers went through uh, the book Devil's Knot and looked for stuff in there. I don't know what they found, but there's evidence that they were paid to actually look through that book that's supposedly the book of record. And another thing about Eccles about charging water, he believes that in moon water, and he's made this statement a few times that he and his girlfriend or soon to be wife, they would take water and put it in the moon and the air would come, I mean, uh, 
light from the moon would hit the water mm -hmm. and then charge it. So he believes this water can be charged, I think, in other, not just this statement, but in other circumstances. And again, to reiterate, there was a full moon that day. And it's a yeah. full moon on that picture he drew of the little child rattle, whatever, mm. energy stuff. That's mm -hmm. a full moon, too. Yeah, I don't know what to say. I mean, yeah, there you go. Um, so again, quoting your book, uh, Branch had evidence of a beating similar to more, but there was something more horrifying, a, a deep wound on the left side of his face. It looked as if his face had been bitten. Uh, Byers endured, Christopher Byers in this case, uh, had endured an awful wound as well as penis and scrotum were cut off. I believe his uh, scrotum was removed, but his penis had been skinned, which, which is important, uh, important details coming up here. Um, so look at the uh, poses, you know, the way that the boys were posed and the, um, the bogmen, the way the bogmen are found, you know, bound. Bogmen are also bound, you know, wrist to ankle, same ways. So, I mean, just look at those pictures. I mean, it's, it's as clear as the nose on your face. I mean, the, the, the bodies were been posed in, in a very traditional fashion. Um, so this is getting back to this next paragraph here is about the, uh, the Bogman. Um, old uh, Grahoan man um, shows signs of cruel torture before he was beheaded. He was stabbed, his nipples were sliced. He had holes cut in his upper arms through which a rope was threaded in order to restrain him. He was also cut in half across his torso. Uh, meanwhile, Clonny Caven man suffered three axe blows to the head plus one to the chest and was also disemboweled. There was definitely an attempt to use several different methods to traumatize and torture the men. Okay. And, and this is something that has been found. A lot of these bodies have been found and they've done uh, you know, post-mortem examinations. So, I and mean, this is not speculation. This is, this is rather well known that these bodies would receive a tremendous amount of abuse before they were ultimately sacrificed. And again, this is the kind of details that I was just very concerned about. Now, this to me is, I, this to me was really sort of the decisive factor as far as the druidic ritual aspect of these killings. And it's something called pinioning, okay? And there's a reason for pinioning. But um, again, quoting from your book, um, searching farther down the gully found uh, naked bodies um, submerged in mud, held down by sticks lodged deep in the mud. Now that in traditional sacrifice was called pinioning, okay? Uh, and it's the same exact thing where bodies would be held down by uh, wooden stakes, pegs, or hurdles uh, that are associated with roughly one in seven finds. And so one in seven of the bodies that they found um, found this technique of using pegs and cloth to hold down the bodies. Okay, So the, uh, Detective Ridge discovered the stakes in the mud their ends wrapped with items of clothing. You know, I mean, this was not somebody trying to cover their tracks. This is somebody who was very proud of what they had done and wanted the world to know about it, in my estimation. 
you know, you don't do that. You know, you know, it's just basically like a big neon sign saying bodies are here. You know, you know, you understand what I mean? Um, so the uh, this is getting back to the Bogman again. The discoveries are generally held to be uh, restraints designed to pin bodies down in bogs, as Tacitus, the Roman historian, famously noted when he observed that Iron Age tribes drowned traders in miry swamps under a cover of wattage hurdles. Um, the reason for the use may have been to protect against the revenge of the ghost or preventing their spirits from escaping the bogs. So it isn't just to hide the bodies, because I don't believe that the bodies were meant to be hidden. Again, you don't put stakes, and it was their clothing, right? That, yeah, yeah. That, so you don't put stakes with the boys' clothing for all for all the world to see if you're trying to hide the bodies. So I don't believe that these boys were, that they were trying to hide these bodies. I think that it, it was this, it was part of the ritual. Part of the ritual, and, yeah. Part of the ritual to again to to imprison their spirits in the you know the swamp or the gully or the peat bog or wherever you you know you can mention. So um, yeah, so this connection with Stonehenge, you know, that they call this area this uh, abandoned cotton gin covered with a cult graffiti. Clearly, um, they called it Stonehenge, or in this case, Stonehenge, <laughs> right? <laughs> So, um, so we've got Robin Hood, right? right? We've got Stonehenge, okay? We've got this gully, which is, you know, essentially miry water, okay? We've got the pinioning, right? And then we have, uh, you know, the supercharged date, right? The supercharged date, uh, very highly significant in any um you know and i'm not talking people I'm people who are necessarily involved in like satanism or black magic but you know this date would have been very significant to people practicing wicca and so on so i mean this was a very very highly charged date in so many different ways and then you know we have these other connections um that uh you know again i mean i I would really like to know where these these names originated. You know, yeah, I mean, did I they did an, they have an occult connection to them? Right. I mean, did they did they originate with Ackles and crew or somebody else? I think that's exactly. Question. Yeah, exactly. Did they exactly. come from his their imagination, or were they into a circle of other people? We know that he traveled to Memphis and talked to some other very alternative figure. I forgot his name, but he was kind of a well known kind of curious guy. I forgot his name. But there are other people around. There's people circulating around Eccles. We know that he was taking pictures of other kids. According to a test, this was a, a statement to the police. So they could have been charged with a, a crime if they were lying. So there, there's other things that I include in my book about very strange connections and events that happened around the West Memphis Street. It was totally ignored by uh, the mass media, corporate media. Exactly. Um. So uh, I guess Mara Leverett wrote that book, right? Right, Devil's Book. Exactly, yeah. Um, so this is quoting Eccles himself. Okay, this is a direct quote. I was interested in Stonehenge. It aroused my curiosity. 
So then I went and looked up the Druids. I would go off on like research binges. His own words. All right. So there you go. Um, one of the arguments, so when I first brought up these issues, you know, one of the arguments that people present to me is like, oh, well, you know, how did he know this stuff? Or how did they know this stuff? And it's just, like, well, first of all, it was published, right? It, you know, this material is published. And if you go to any library, you know, with any kind of uh, decent historical section, you're going to be able to find this stuff. I mean, never mind an occult section or a section on witchcraft or anything, just basic European history, you're going to be able to get full access to all this information. Yeah, anthropology and, or stuff like that. There's whole stories about the burning of witches and a lot of this druidic stuff and how they try to get rid of it. It's all historical. You know. And and you know, and also the um, you know, that book I mentioned, the life and death of a druidic prince, which is uh, or druid prince, which was a mass market yeah. paperback. You there? Yeah, I'm here. I just dropped. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a mass market paperback. And, uh, you know, if it, if it wasn't at like the local Walden Books or Barnes and Noble, I mean, it would definitely be at a library, especially a county library. So, again, I mean, this whole notion that this was like, you know, deep in the Appalachian backwoods and, and they didn't know anything about druidry and they didn't know anything about you know these people were just like heavy metal was just like some weird thing that just like dropped from the sky and you know, some alien uh virus <laughs> it's just, it's just the, the absurdity is just Absurd, yeah. the political assumptions are just really um ridiculous i think ridiculous yeah i think they poisoned people's ability to really look at this whole case clearly i think that's so, um, you know, one of the things that I pointed out, so I mean, so like this is Memphis right here, right? And how many miles is that? It's uh, what, eight miles from downtown Memphis, you know, where the bodies were found. I mean, come on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Memphis is a major metropolitan area with a long history. You know, this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't the backwoods. This isn't like the deep mountains redoubt of uh snake handlers and so on i mean this is this is a suburb, <laughs> a suburb. there's like a bunch of ho big hotels there now you know and in the area where the body was found there's a uh what is it a like an embassy suites or something or comfort inn or something and there's a you know this is a this is a metropolitan area and just this idea of like it's just a total political construct. But, you know, uh, one of the things I, I mentioned here is, um, you know, Thomas Paine had written a, a fairly well-known essay called on, on Freemasonry or on Masonry. And he connected uh, Freemasonry to um, the Druids and also to the, the, the priests of, of Heliopolis or on in Egypt. You know, and he said it was uh, sun worship, which was very, had sort of a vogue in some circles at the time. But, um, you know, it's not quite, it's not quite exactly parallel with the Memphis pyramid here, but it's close enough. You know, I mean, it's few, it's just a few uh, seconds off, right? I mean, uh, nearly it's parallel, not... nearly, nearly uh, parallel with, um, 
And I wonder if you can, you know, I, I, when I was researching this, I was kind of wondering if you could see the pyramid from that area. I think you can. That's my understanding. And one yeah. of the strange things is like the after the crimes in 1993, the mother of Eccles and his sister were involved in a really suspicious incident at the river's edge in Mississippi underneath like the pyramid, the shadow of the pyramid where somebody got shot, died. It was, I think, living with them or a friend. And then somebody hid the gun. And that's in uh, West uh, is in abomination, but it just showed kind of the real kind of sketchy background of the, even the whole family, what they were involved in. Mm. Mm. That was in 1993, yeah. One of the things you and I discussed, I mean, not only is it, you know, nearly parallel with the Memphis pyramid, but um, this area here, Mud Island is, you know, we talked about Jeff Buckley's death and right. the possibility that that might've been a, a smiley face. Uh, situation that's super suspicious too he was a good swimmer is my understanding right didn't you say no actually he was actually he oh. wasn't he, okay. he wasn't a good swimmer um his girlfriend was trying to teach him to swim i mean they'd actually it's interesting because they he and his girlfriend had been involved in a um a near drowning in in australia that they, they very stupidly went swimming and you know the the coast of uh, the gold coast of australia at, at midnight and they had to be they both had to be rescued so she was teaching him how to swim but um, I, I, in this case, it seems, you know, the story seems to be that he was just, he was just waiting, W-A-D-I-N-G, and uh, maybe got pulled by the current. That's actually, that area is actually a, a notorious area for drownings. There's been a number of drownings there. And actually there was a, a music uh, festival just a couple of years ago where somebody drowned there, somebody was seeing, you know, it was one of these kind of jam band uh, festivals and somebody had drowned there. So it's that, that particular point is, is, is rather notorious because of the undercurrents, because what you have there is that you have, you know, the, the currents of the Mississippi, which is incredibly powerful. And then sort of this uh, cross current with the, the Wolf uh, River. So, hmm. but that's a whole other discussion. Uh, now here's another thing that I just was, uh, Troubled by, let's just say. So this is from uh, his one of his evaluations. Uh, strengths appear to be academic ability that is above grade level, a willingness to work hard, good sense of humor, and compliance with authority figures. So this is somebody who who does his research, does his reading. Okay. This is not, um, you know, a, a country bumpkin. This is somebody who's extremely intelligent, and when he's interested in something, he obsesses on it. And he said himself that he was interested in druidry and he obsessed on it and said those are his own words. So, um, but this, um, this note he gave um, where he said, my new name is Baal Barath. We are leaving soon. I set the date for October 31st, Samhain, Al-Hawaziv, Halloween. So um, I, my assumption here is that he's, this is a, suicide you know that he's threatening to commit suicide uh we are you know we are leaving soon um and he's going to do so on halloween and you know these cross-quarter holidays have been known throughout a cult's history as being you know fortuitous dates to if you're going to kill yourself that you know you, you can offer yourself up as a sacrifice and like that. so um so bal barath um that's spelling so I was like, huh, I was looking at Baal Barath. Now, what there is, is that there's Baal Barith, 
which means Lord of the Covenant, and Elbereth, which means God of the Covenant. And these were two uh, gods worshipped by the ancient Canaanites and are mentioned in the Bible. Balbereth, so Lord of the Covenant. Now, the term was, you know, the name was passed down into Hebrew as Balbarit, without the H, uh, applied to the father of a child at a circumcision ceremony. That's sort of the operative tell here. So Balbarit became a term for the father of a child at a, a circumcision, you know, what's called a bris uh, ceremony, right? And then I mentioned, uh, you know, one of the boys later identified as Chris Byers was covered in lacerations and had the skin from his penis and scrotum removed. So, I mean, I guess you would say that that was like a rather extreme uh, circumcision, okay? So, I mean, just look at the chain here, you know, the... Uh, and I think in Jewish tradition, the boys are circumcised circumcised at eight days. Is that right? So there's another eight. I have to oh, is that correct? I have oh. to double check that. That comes to mind. I think the bris is at eight days, but I'll, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, that, that, that may be so. Uh, that's even more disturbing if that's yeah, Maybe the case. somebody in the chat can look that up. Yes. Um, so, again, so it's Balbarath which is either his, you know, sort of like a portmanteau of his own making, or it's just him misspelling Balbarith. But this connection, this modern connection with circumcision is, again, very troubling to me, very troubling to me. Um, you know, just on top of everything else, I mean, just on top of everything else we've already discussed, I don't know. Yeah, well, you can go into what they suppose what uh, Baldwin supposedly did with his, his what got cut off. So, jeez. Oh, so Nabal uh, says it's on the eighth day, so he's confirming that. So that. Oh my goodness. I think that, so the so the Jewish circumcision bris is on the eighth day of the men's boy's life. Mm. And the interesting thing too is that circumcision comes from, you know, it's it's originally an Egyptian. That's right. Uh, I'd like to see, you know, because there's the connection with the Egyptians and the Druids and the, all that other kind of stuff. But so, um, but there's also the, 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 you know, the rites of spring, you know, um, Beltane, May Day. You know, this is the big spring holiday. And what we had is um, a number of castrated gods associated with the rites of spring. Uh, Agdesis, uh, you know, the, the galley, uh, priests of Kybel uh, and Addis, uh, Addis himself, Aphrodite and Adonis, um, but also um, Isis and Osiris. So you have a number of these sort of fertility gods associated with these spring rituals and, and ritual sacrifices that are also associated with castration. Okay, so uh, like I said, when I when I was really kind of adding this up, you know, I, I said so partly in jest, but it's like this seems like, you know, orthodox druidry, you know, like yeah, trad back to basics. You know, <laughs> I mean, this is like, oh. and it's and it's rather well studied. So, you know, again, that Balbarith associated with castration, castration associated with Beltane and other uh spring rituals and so on 
opinioning. Um, I just really got the sense that who, so let's just say whoever committed these crimes, right, uh, planned them out meticulously and was very well read. I think you're right. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, this research is incredible, really. <clears throat> and but there's also um, so sacrifice male gods. This is uh, Orpheus and then the Adonis River. Uh, so I guess this gully uh, is a drainage ditch, but it, did it it fed into the uh, what's the name of that river? It, yeah, the been, Ten Mile River. Right. Yeah, Three Mile was the aqueduct they built to drain off into the Mississippi. So it was supposed to have been built for to keep from flooding, keep the area from flooding. It's called the Three Mile Aqueduct. I can't. Three Mile something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, this is almost like a twofer because you're getting the the connection to the river, but you're also getting the you know the the stagnant water you know you understand what i'm saying so yeah, this is absolutely. what i'm saying it's like i mean if these crimes weren't so horrific i'd be impressed by the attention to detail here and uh this is just sort of uh you know i guess the rest of it is just kind of um editorializing i guess but we have uh you know we have um the producers of paradise loss here with uh with baldwin and then we have Eccles here uh, wearing his sunglasses at night with uh, Genesis P. Orridge, um, Thriving Gristle. Now, so the interesting thing about Genesis P. Orridge, you know, so I talk about this, uh, and you know, you, you've talked about this over and over again with with uh, the Order of the Nine Angles and so on, but this traditional connection between Satanism and extreme right politics. And Genesis P. Orridge came up with, with Thriving Gristle, who made you know very extensive use of, like, fascist quasi Nazi imagery and you know just a very fascist um, presentation but also incorporated the occult so it's just like I, they I had think like the a militant, they had a militancy about them uh, yeah the yeah I mean they wore like youth, a, yeah temple of psychic youth was like almost like uh, something from fight club or something where they had like a real militancy they were very uh end of the world kind of stuff you know so i think that they were and they wore it like they would wear um like military gear yeah military you know, gear like military type of Africa. So. yeah short yeah. hair long ponytail so they had a certain thing that you had to do and i think that being in the, that close to genesis Peorge, it was exactly like fight club you had to do certain tasks you had to obey and a lot of 23s, a lot of occult numerology, too. Mm. And, of course, Marilyn Manson and, and Peter Jackson. Um, and, uh, you know, i got to say the Peter Jackson connection is, is really, um, it's disappointing to me, but it's also I'm a little bit puzzled by it. Because I think what if he put up like $10 million for the, he was uh, him. Him and Depp were the main financial backers of getting them out. Is my understanding. And and we of course we're learning more and more about what a horrific person Marilyn Manson is. You know, so it used to be, oh, it's all an act. You know, he's just he's just a performer. He's just Alice Cooper for the '90s, and now more and more we're finding out that he's just a violent abuser of women, and uh, and on and on. Just a really loathsome creature but um you know trent reznor had said 
had said quite a while ago, you know, he'd cut ties with with Manson Warner and just said, like, he's just one of the worst people. Wow. That's saying something from him. Because there's a tie to him from him to through the Temple of Psychic Youth, too. Because his new band that he plays with is called How to Destroy Angels. That's right out of Peter Christopherson. He was with. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's it's mm. one of it was one of Peter Christopherson's projects that seems like Reznor just picked up. I think it's with his wife. But when I saw yeah. the title, I was like, I was in shock. Like, wow, that's a direct tie to Topi and those characters. And back to Burroughs. Hmm. And then, of course, the Dixie Chicks. Um, and I, I just find this image here very creepy. You know, one of these Dixie Chicks, you know, just just basically about to mount Eccles here. Um, and he just seems completely, <laughs> completely disinterested. But it's interesting how Eccles and Depp are sort of like adopting the same kind of look here. That it's, woman is the director of the film West of Memphis. And she's been his, like, the one right to his right. Oh, is she? Yeah, that's not a Dixie chick. It goes... Oh, it isn't? Yeah, no, the Dixie chick is the girl with the kind of mop top. Natalie Maines, yeah. Yeah, that's her. Depp Maines, Eccles' wife, and then... Her name is escaping me now. It'll come back, but uh, she, yeah. She's like, she said some of the most amazing, ridiculous stuff. She was the one who was on The View saying that prehistoric beast uh, snapping turtles came out and attacked the kids or something. So. Oh, that, yeah, that whole thing. She might've been paid to do the documentary. So I don't know. I don't know where the strings are attached to her, but she is quite the character. Her name, what's the director of West of Memphis? Can somebody look that up in the chat? Somebody probably knows her name. And then of course, Henry Rollins. And again, as I said, I'm extraordinarily cynical about Rollins's involvement in this case i i um i think that his career was was hitting the rocks for the second time really i mean and he just was trying to latch on to something that would get him some publicity and so on you know because of course i mean what does he do he puts out a cd you know he puts out an album you know nobody's buying his albums anymore nobody's buying the rollins band album anymore so he, he goes back to the you know, the old black flag well and gets a bunch of prominent musicians to play on it. And it was, a, you know, it was a publicity bonanza for him. Um, you know, have you I've ever, actually... Have you ever heard of Rollins' sketchy uh, background with the guy who got shot when they were in Venice Beach? Yeah, well, that's a whole other conversation. It is. But I'll tell you something. So I, I, I'm, you know, I'm from the Boston hardcore scene back in the day. And um, there's a lot of connection between Boston and, and Washington, D.C., with like Minor Threat and the Bad Brains and so on. And I heard story because I guess um, there's a house that um, this record label called Discord set up, you know, in the suburbs. And I guess Rollins was living there for a time. And, you know, people have said that he would just like go into the bathroom and stare at himself in the mirror and scream, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that he's not a particularly healthy, uh, healthy. Individual. I've heard stories. I mean, the crazy days and nights have said some very interesting things about Rollins. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I can tell. I'll tell you off of. Uh, yeah, tell me off there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but it fits him into being the kind of uh, in the Eccles orbit, you know, who, who's, who's claimed to be like he stated about himself. He wanted to be the king of freaks. So. Uh, David White. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, he always just reminded me like, um, 
you know, when you see his high school picture, you always just remind me of, like just dumb jocks, but I don't know, whatever. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Um, and then this whole connection with, with oxygen, you know, Oprah's um, operation right. being very active on this case number of uh they have this like true crime called true crime buzz and they've done a number of stories um you know that are basically read like uh public relations releases from the defense lawyers i mean just completely completely biased and non-objective stories and i i don't know what the connection is there like why is oprah's operations so interested in these guys um i would say that that's kind of a consistency through the corporate media there's not a lot of real hardcore questioning they've always been fawning over them they've always maintained their innocence very little critical inquiries um there's very nobody really questions the the story is in the corporate media i haven't mm, ever seen it mm, no you're absolutely right and i think that's why most people just have this very knee-jerk reaction to this but of course, Oprah has this connection with uh, John of God, um, cult leader, mass rapist, human trafficker, sexual trafficker, uh, suspected murderer. Um, she pushed this guy too. You know, she was this yeah, guy's big backer. And uh, you know, I mean, Oprah's got a lot of other kind of sketchy connections. <laughs> we can skip for now. Yeah, Weinstein, all these characters, man. Yeah, um, oh. but this this is the, this is the most unsettling, I think. You know, the connections between her media outlet trying to promote the West Memphis cause as, as much as possible, in conjunction with this hyping of John of God. You know, I don't know. There you go. And but this is also interesting because. Uh, Berliner, uh, Berlinger, and I'm, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but, you know, so the two original directors, producers of Paradise Lost both have extensive connections with Oprah. Wow. Berlinger and Sinofsky. Sinofsky died of liver. Sinofsky, yes. That's the name I always forget. Um, so they have uh, extensive connections. And these are wow, actually two separate IMDb. Uh, I believe the one on the left is Berlinger and the other one is Sinofsky. But... Um, What's up with that? Yeah, that's a lot of questions there. Wow. What's up with that? Very close connections, too, between this. And then you show, and I think one of your last things, Berlinger did the Blair Witch Project, too, right? With an yes. Yes. Uh, and that's a very interesting thing. No, I'm sorry. This one on the left is Sinofsky and this Berlinger. Because Berlinger was also involved. I mean, he also did that um, that Jeffrey Epstein documentary that a lot of people said was a whitewash. Yeah, I think you're right. But also, um, this is a very interesting connection here. Uh, this connection I write about in Endless American Midnight because this is from my back, you know, basically, literally my backyard. Uh, Whitey Bulger, he did this documentary, which is actually it's a very well done documentary. Uh, United States of America versus Whitey Bulger, and it's about the you know whole situation with Michael Connolly and the FBI, all done under the aegis of uh, Robert Mueller. You know, basically, they were just using Bulger as a sort of a cat's paw. 
uh, you know, the corruption and so on. They would never do that with Epstein, though, right? How, how? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so, I mean, I'm sure you know, and a lot of your your viewers know that uh, Bulger was um, sort of MKUltra's uh, star pupil. Yeah. Star pupil. Star he was the one of the last residents of Alcatraz, and I think that's where they did the tests on him, if I remember correctly. Yeah, well, that was one of the places. I mean, they really did a number on him. But, yeah, I mean, Alcatraz was one of the places where they were doing extensive testing. And basically what the testing was is that they pump him up full of insane doses of, um, of LSD and just lock him in solitary. Yeah. And just torture. Yeah, I mean, torture. like, was like literal, literal Nazi stuff, literal, like kind of Auschwitz kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and again, the book Shadows, Blair Witch. That's um, it. Yes. Uh, a Joe Berlinger film about occult murders. Uh, so there's an interesting connection there. Uh, the movie was a huge flop, though. Uh, it was kind of a joke, actually very widely panned yeah. but, it's uh, very strange because the blair witch project was a huge success for a total indie film right micro budgeted indie film and then this one flopped yeah it was pure profit so again um you know so there you have it there you have it oh also the the three and the three so there's a 33 here as well that we can see um I think you're on the on the money, though. I think that the Druidism was never really ever looked into, to my knowledge. Because who would? Them. Like, who would? Like, you know, you know this, this whole thing. It's like, who who even thinks of that? You know, I mean, who would ever think like, oh, this is Druidic? You know, because it's it seems so obscure. Like, who who would be like that into Druidry that they would meticulously plan this traditional, like I said, Orthodox Druid human sacrifice? on this incredibly charged, this incredibly highly charged ritual date. You know, who would think of that? You know, uh, I didn't, listen, I didn't think of it until a few weeks ago. So that just goes to show you. And I don't even, like, I don't even remember, like, like why. I think I was reading, like, a news story about the Bogman, and that sort of refreshed my memory as far as this topic is concerned. But, uh yeah, but it's like they brought it back, like all that stuff died off, or at least in the in the states was like the Christianity. As the Christianity declines, these old traditions are popping back. These old movies, Wicker Man, Midsummer, and these old ideas, man, they come back. The paganism comes back, and it it's mixed in with these occultism. And I think this Druidism. It's the same with the ONA. I, that was one thing that I read about the ONA far right, right, just like you said, far right occultism. But they're drawing on historical druidism and, and earth you know nature worship and those types of things so well so, so the interesting thing and you know this is the thing i always say is that like when you've got somebody who's like a real uh type a personality say like a damien eccles um does he want to subscribe to a religion first of all that has no legitimate corpus to follow and second of all is based on like the loser in somebody else's story you know what I mean? It's like one thing in my experience is that people drawn to Satanism are usually people who had very religious upbringings and are kind of like on an extreme rum springer. <laughs> you know that term right, from, right. from the, uh, what do you call it? The, the uh, Amish. Amish. Thing, so. 
So, um, you know, if you're really serious about your occultism, it, it always seems to me like there's, there's almost like a, a step. Uh, progression. Like a progression. Like there's a series of stages where you say you start with like the, the Satanism, which is really sort of the bottom rung. It's like the trailer trash kind of stuff. And then you discover like the Crowley stuff. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like, it's more sophisticated and there's, there's more literature to, to immerse yourself in, but it, it's still, you know, it's something that some perverted drug addict made up out of whole cloth. But, you know, if you, if you follow that back, you know, you do end up with things like Druidry or Odin worship. I mean, you can do whatever the hell you want. You have total license. With these religions and not only that but it's like they're sanctioned it's not like oh i'm being bad i'm being naughty i'm in rebellion i'm gonna kill these boys and do all these horrible things it's like no this is my religion you don't understand this is my faith i mean this is like i am following my my religious faith here and Eccles said himself it's like uh christianity sort of took us off the path that was the right path that was the right that was the right way to do things. And that was the right way to go about things. And Christianity sort of diverted us from, you know, some sort of like weird detour from, you know, the, the religion of our forefathers. And, you know, you can do whatever you want. You know, it's like. It's the, sure that the Nazis. Go look at the Nazis. I saw this uh, documentary about the SS on Netflix and they were literally telling these people mercy and sympathy that's all christianity get rid of that mm -hmm. and it was mm -hmm. all that would so they were ju just like the ona probably like a lot of other cultures they were juxtaposing themselves against this old religion they had their own stonehenge i forgot what it was called and somewhere in the middle of germany something mm -hmm. structure that they did rituals at yeah well and, that's where uh, kenneth anger had filmed scenes from lucifer rags in there oh wow okay well that yeah. makes perfect sense yeah so, so, I mean, so what, what this, they're quoting there is it's like Nietzsche and um, Ernst Jünger, you know, the, the whole idea of like the, the, the Superman is, is above good and evil and, you know, compassion is a sin. All these kind of ideas. I mean, these were very popular in the late 19th, early 20th century and made their way into to, to Nazism. Yeah. I, I think probably through uh, some of these weird post-theosophical groups, you know, some of these occult groups, um, like Tool Society and so on. Right. Like it was, yeah. That's the but, you know, so another, another interesting thing. So, like, um, I mean, I'm sure you're all over this, but uh, Lucian Greaves... And the satanic temple i mean they, they they present themselves as being woke you know very woke now but um you know his big obsession was the process and the process and i mean i'm not exactly sure i'm sure you you're all over that like but i'm sure there's a lot of continuity between the process and the ona um similar definitely i mean but, i mean there's definitely a lot of thematic similarities there but um so greaves was very obsessed with uh the process but was also involved in the, the republication of uh, regnar redbeard's uh might is right 
right. and, and even did the illustrations for it. So, uh, um, there's, I mean, there you go. So, like I said, I mean, it's like if, if people can sort of look away from like the satanic aspect and, and start seeing these deeper occult streams, many of which go back a very long way. And like you said, like all these esoteric groups that are sort of on the fringe of extreme right politics that see these old blood sacrifice rituals as being, you know, indigenous, as, as being like traditional, as being the faith of their fathers and so on. Right. So, uh, you know, there you go. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that's really it, is people can't believe that people are going back to that old paganist religion and be really becoming it. And I think that's what you see in the West Memphis Remurs. And I think you keyed into it that, like I said earlier, nobody else have, have keyed into it. So I really appreciate your time. Appreciate all of your uh, your spreadsheet and all that excellent information. Where's the best place for people to maybe see that or reach out to you? It's uh, Secret Sun blog, right? Yeah, I, um, the best place to see this information is here. <laughs> um, I, uh, secretsun.blogspot.com is my main blog, and that won't get you where you need to go. Um, this, um, this presentation was done uh, for my patrons on my Patreon. Gotcha. And so, uh, hey, I'll tell you something. We, we, we all felt like really bad at the end of it. <laughs> we all just like, oh, God, this is just a nightmare. And, uh, you know, it, it really is. It is. It is a nightmare. And the fact that, you know, we, we continue to see these efforts to rehabilitate these people is uh, is unsettling at the very yeah, least. It's very disturbing. The social aspects, the sociological aspects of this crime are really, really disturbing to see how many people either are misled or involved or whatever. It's not, uh, like you said, I think unsettling is definitely the right word. Where can people, what else can people see if they go to your Patreon? Oh, um, <laughs> a lot. I, 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 I actually constructed an index for, for it that I, I put on a separate blog. I'll, I'll link to that on, on the Secret Sun. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of material on there. Um, live streams, uh, video messages, PDFs, books, articles. Um, there's a lot, you got a lot of bang for your buck there. You know so people mean? can check out, and if you send me the link, I'll I'll try to find it after the show, but I'll put it in the links to this show and on my podcast. So the Secret Sun and then the Secret Sun Patreon uh, shows, and you've output output so much stuff, especially in that book, Endless American Midnight. People can read through that and see all the stuff that you've written on too. Because you there's got, a lot of yeah, there's a lot of information in that book. Yeah, so I recommend a lot that. of information. Very, so Chris, uh, else, anything else you'd like to add, or anything I missed before we wrap it up? Uh, the one thing that I would like to add is that I, um, you know, like in this case and in similar cases, you know, like I talk a lot about um, Mithraism and a lot of the symbolism that we see that's very Mithraic, uh, Statue of Liberty, for instance. Um, I, I think that we, we really need to understand that these older religions, these older, you know, what we might call pagan religions, um, a, they never really went away. They were, you know, um, a lot of them will practice in underground settings. And B, um, they're coming back. Uh, they're coming back. 
And, you know, I don't make judgments on people's beliefs. I make judgments on people's actions. And the fact that there are certain belief systems that are held among very powerful people that, that they feel give them complete license to do whatever they want to whoever they want, I think is something that we really need to be cognizant of because it's it's a very serious problem. And like I, I said, and I'll, I'll say again, you know, look past Satanism. You know, um, I think when people get serious about this stuff, they leave Satanism far behind. They really do because they don't need it. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it gets into kind of how you define Satanism, what Satanism is. But it could be just paganism, which to maybe a Christian is adversarial and antithetical to their beliefs. But one guy's paganism is another guy's Satanism, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But thanks so much for your talk. Really informational and really, I think you got it on the nail, hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think that's, there's something else druidic involved in this crime, something I never even looked into. So I really appreciate your research and your time. So Chris Knowles, Secret Sun, blog, and Patreon. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. All right, take care. Stay there, stay there.